Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is episode 112 with Australian actor Ben Gerard. You can find him on Twitter. He's B E N G E R R A R D O Z. I guess there's another Ben Gerard somewhere. Uh, Ben's currently playing at the Old Fitz Theatre in Sydney in, a, in the one person show, I Am My Own Wife. Uh, tickets are available now. There's only a few shows left. I'll talk to you about it a little more in just a moment. If you're new, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. I'm Osha. This is my podcast. Each week, I'm going to have a chat with someone. Hope you find it interesting. If you like it, you can get it in your phone each and every week just by subscribing in the podcast app of your choice. Uh, you can find all of the episodes at osherginsberg.com. Only the last 50 are on iTunes. You can subscribe to the mailing list at Facebook. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, if you want to write me, you can write me, send osher email at gmail.com or just in Facebook. That's good. I hope you're well. I hope you are well and that you were able to hug the people you loved a little bit more this week. I hope you're okay after the crazy freaking violence in the world all this week. If you're in Sydney, I hope you're okay after two days of weather. That was 10 degrees hotter than the average temperature. Climate change isn't something far away that exists in a fantasy world of the future. It is the thing that makes... 40 degree days when it's not summer. Just putting it out there. So with all this going on, you know, it does kind of weigh on me and I, you know, I do what I've learned to do in times like this and I I think of 10 things that I'm grateful for. Okay, so um, I just write it down. Um, okay, number one, uh, I'm grateful for my girlfriend. She's ace. She makes my life fantastic. Number two, I'm grateful for my family. 
they are very wonderful and everybody's doing wonderful things. I'm grateful for my new job in radio. I'm working at a station in Brisbane called Hit 105, which is the station I started at. I'll tell you that story another time, but it's it's super great. I'm super excited to be invited to be a part of the team. And uh, don't worry, the podcast will continue. Um, I'm grateful The Bachelorette's coming back for another year. I'm grateful that I have clean water out of my tap. I'm grateful that there are smarter people than me working on climate issues and issues of uh, social connectivity and inclusion so that we can all have a peaceful future together. I'm I'm grateful that someone invented glasses and hearing aids so I can perceive the world around me a lot better. I'm grateful to my physio. She's the best physio ever. And even though I... I rather robustly destroyed my shoulder in the surf the other day. Um, So much so I'm seeing the surgeon on Monday. I'm grateful it wasn't my neck that hit the sandbank. Um, I'm grateful for my pillow. My pillow's the best pillow ever. I'm sure your pillow's the best pillow ever too. Number 10 would be I'm grateful for the kid in my life. She brings me joy every day. And I learn something from her every day, even if that means don't react. Or engage with the kid. Okay, there's some gratitude. I feel better. Okay, uh, I'll quick intro this week. I'll just get straight to my guest uh, because it's a really good chat, and I, I want to really get us into it. Uh, ben Gerard is my guest. Ben is an extraordinarily talented performer from Victoria in the lower right-hand side of Australia. If you're looking at a world map. He's currently playing more than 20 characters all by himself in the brilliant solo show I Am My Own Wife, which explores transgender issues, human rights, communism, resilience in the face of communist oppression. There's a lot going on. It's currently playing at the Old Fitz Theatre in King's Cross. There's a few shows left. Do whatever you can to go and see it. His reviews are going crazy. Um, You might be lucky to get a ticket, but go and figure it out. Ben's also up for a Logie Award, which is like our Emmy Awards in Australia, uh, for his brilliant comedic performances in Open Slather, that sketch show, um, with the Working Dog crew on Foxtel. But uh, Ben came to my house for a conversation. He was nothing but delightful. And I've got to tell you, there's a depth and a talent to this man that is at first unassuming, but gradually, it just starts to radiate out of him, eventually getting quite bright and ultimately blinding you because he's just you get how much he has to offer so much so that i get the feeling he's not going to be in this country long that he is about to be one of our greatest comedic and dramatic actors he's a brilliant communicator very smart man and um a big thanks to jane Naglin who hooked this up because I'm stoked that I got to have this conversation about the things that we talked about. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. Find him on Twitter at Ben Gerard, B-E-N-G-E-R-R-A-R-D-O-Z, Ben Gerard Oz on Twitter. Find him there. Tell him you heard him here and enjoy. This is the uh, renovation district of the eastern suburbs uh, here. So I've got a little. Uh, yeah, so I've, I apologise <laughs> for that. Right. I, I apologise for that, Ben. So there's going to be there's going to be some um, drilling and stuff. That's let me pour, let me pour you a tea. Thank you so much. Um, 
people would complain about the slurping. What did we get? Oh, right, okay. All right. Well, I will, I will, I will well, I'll try to be careful. But you know what? You know? I invite somebody in. I'm not a, I'm not a, a bad slurper. Well, I, like, I invite you know. someone in, you make him a beverage, and we start talking. Yeah. I record it. You it's going to be slurping. <laughs> I'll try to... um. You know, slip away from last week's episode. There was a lot of crunching. Oh really? Oh no! See, I don't like that. Like I, when I watch movies, and and for some reason, male actors do it a lot. Like eating while talking. I just loud mastication. Loud mastication, and I think it just is worse on TV and movie because <laughs> the microphones just seem to like be. It's almost like I can hear yeah. inside of the mouth. I don't like it. Well, thanks for coming today. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just getting some tea. <laughs> There we go. Yeah, it's a goodie. Good, good. What is it? It's the Madura. Lovely. The Madura Black Blend. Well, thanks for coming on a on a, on a weekday in the middle of the day. That's okay. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm really good. Yeah, all right. Yeah, what yeah. part of the city did you come from? I uh, just came from the old Fitz and Willamaloo. So... All right, yeah. The, the old Fitz Theatre in Willamaloo. The Theatre in Willamaloo. That's yeah, a nice yeah, little yeah. room there. Beautiful. You'd be in full... Full rehearsal. We are. Yeah. yeah, full rehearsal at the moment. Just did a big, just did a full run of the play for our, our lighting designer and um, stage yeah. manager. So just to give him an idea. Of well, I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk about that later. We, we're definitely going to get to that because <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated in that whole. So King's Cross. I've just come from King's Cross. Yeah. <laughs> they call it Woolamaloo. Yeah, but it's it's 40 meters away. The real estate agents call it Potts Point. <laughs> <laughs> so... They wish. <laughs> they wish. Like, Where did, did, did you grow up in Sydney? Uh, no, I grew up in. Um, Frankston in Melbourne. Oh, so. Coming straight out of Frankston. I know, I'm a bogan. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. How was that? Uh, well, I'm not there anymore, but, you know, it's nice to go back. I, I had a, it was cool. We lived right near the beach, so yeah. the beach there is amazing. So All I know about Frankston is that we used to do a whole bunch of work back at Channel V with a band called 28 Days. Oh, yeah, right. They were Frankston boys. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit loose out there. It is, yeah. It was, uh, I think it's changed a bit now. I think people cotton on to the fact that it was, um, oh, there's an amazing beach here. And so, of course, where there is an amazing beach, you know, yeah, yeah things change. But uh, when I was there, it was, yeah, it was still pretty rough. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. Well, what, how did that rough manifest? Well, I lived in the Pines, which is like the housing commission district of Frankston. And we lived in like a, um, a fibro housing commission neighborhood. And uh, so, yeah, you... Uh, you were a house kid? Yeah, we awesome. had to be on a bike. So you, I, everywhere I went, I went on a bike. <laughs> it was faster than anyone who might be chasing me on foot. So it was good. Wow. <laughs> wow. So what did you, what, what did you folks do? Um, my mum is a nurse, and so we were just living with my mum. So uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. Dad came. wasn't around at all. No. So it was my mum bringing up my brother and I. You know. Wow. In a housing commission house in Frankston. You were in touch with your dad at all? The Pines. Yeah, like not really. But yeah. I know he's there, and we're in contact, and he's in Melbourne, and um, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. But not, 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 not too much at the moment. But yeah, because uh, uh, so I've got the reverse kind of. I don't yeah, it's the reverse going on in that. I'm living with Audrey and her her daughter. Yeah. So, and then I showed up about a year and a half ago. Is and is Dad gone or is Dad oh, on the Dad's scene? around. She sees Dad. Oh no 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 no. Okay, she cool, sees cool. Dad. Yep. She sees Dad, but she she he, she doesn't live with him. But it's interesting coming into. I bet the, that dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, where there's a child and yeah. Did your mum remarry at all or anything like yeah, that? She had, yeah, she had. She did remarry. I did. I, I did have a stepdad for a period of a few years, and then that came and went as well. But, oh, what was yeah. that like? What do I need to know about being a stepdad? <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, you'd be awesome one. I can tell. Um, just, I, 
I guess like for me, a stepdad is about not being threatened by the kid. Mm. Like I felt like my stepdad was a bit threatened by my relationship with my mum because my mum and I are, like extremely close, and I felt bad for him because I felt his kind of sense of territory, and it didn't. Ha- but that didn't help. So I think that actually made our relationship more tenuous by him constantly trying to like get a foothold on ownership and possession of my mum. Uh. Yeah. So I just reckon like embrace, embrace, like never ever feel threatened by the relationship between the parent and child. Like who is your partner? Uh-huh, Do you know what yeah. I mean? The, and uh, yeah, I think that was the, if I was my age now talking to my stepdad back then, I would have said, ah, just relax. It's fine because I'm going to grow up and move away, and you're going to have it all to yourself. So, <laughs> was it weird because you were boys and he was yeah. man trying to be definitely you know, territorial? Definitely, and I think I think when you, I, I think a man can't help but try to be like see a teenage boy and want to mm. teach, you know. Yeah. And I think I was I was extremely resistant to that, which probably didn't help. I was like in puberty and you know like it was the 90s and I was an emo and he was a dag and I was like did not need him to teach me anything so poor guy I sound like oh this poor man didn't have a chance (laughs) she uh she's a dancer and she loves pop music loves pop music so when we drive to and from dancing I you know she puts on my Spotify she's got a playlist on my Spotify and I've only recently had to put a a limit. Okay, looks like all these songs are fine. Yep. But that hula hoop song, I can only do three times a week. <laughs> all right, I just can't. I just oh, can't bear it. You've got it made. I think she's. Uh, I think you're. You don't need any advice from oh, me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. It's, it is. It is. It is hard. It certainly was when I first got here. It certainly was diff- uh, very difficult for her because she'd had the you know the mum a hundred percent. How old is a uh, kid? Is now uh, she's just about to turn twelve. Oh wow. Okay. So- yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, I got age. here just in time. I got yeah. here just you in time for puberty. Yeah, it was like two years from now, it would have been. I got here just in time for puberty. Just telling you, Ben. You, you, you can still do the hula hoop trick song. I'm so. telling you, though. <laughs> uh, she's starting in high school next year, and I'm, uh, it was so funny. Okay, so the other night we were at the high school um, uh, orientation for the parents. Uh-huh. I went along, it was great. I yep. love to be there. And the very stoic um, school principal, Mrs. Mc you know, sensible pants, you know, yep. she's, she's yep. up there. Yep. She's got this very sensible bob, very kind of, you know, sensible glasses. Gorgeous. Sensible. Oh, <laughs> early fifties, gorgeous. Uh-huh. Mm. And she says, Stately. Yeah. these, these young girls are going to come here and they're going to come to this uh, particular it's a Catholic education office school. Yeah. They're going to come here and they're going to, you know, they're going to do this, you know, best and, and they're going to grow into young women while they're here. Uh, and they'll be spending their teenage years with us. And we're here to, you know, support each other as parents and teachers through this time. Now, you may think your little girl is uh, very well behaved. And this lady said, I'd like you to think about what you got up to when you were a teenager. I know what I got up to. <laughs> oh, my God. Paint, paint a picture, babe. Yeah. I'm thinking, <laughs> Tell us all about it. I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing the maths. So I'm like, late 70s. Oh, yeah. Uh, listen to the radiators Probably at the bottom of life. Probably of a different hairstyle. <laughs> so. <laughs> Oh wow! Yeah. So when we heard that, I'm like, I'm lucky I've already got grey in my beard because there's more coming. <laughs> so there's it's an all girls school. There's more. Yeah, it's an all girls school. I reckon if I had a daughter, I would send her to an all girls school. Yeah. But I reckon co-ed's good for boys. I don't know. Yeah, I went to an all boys school. I got sped up the other, and I had no idea. idea. No, I, I idea think it's good for boys. How to talk know. to girls? Yeah. No idea at all. I I'm one of four brothers. Yeah. The only woman I knew was uh, my mum. 
I knew no. I didn't know any four brothers. Women. Yeah, I'm number two. Your poor mum. Yeah, she's awesome. She's an exceptional. My mum was pulling her out with two boys. So. Yeah. What's the age difference? <laughs> Literally a year and a half. Irish twins. Yes. Almost. We are. We we're an Irish family too. So. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she stopped after that though. <laughs> um. So four and yours. Right. So yours. so hang on. So what was like? What was life like in the in the housing commission area? I mean, we all hear bloody you know stories and that. But yeah. when you're a kid, you don't know any different, right? Like I think because I was, you know, I was you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen during that period. So I was a bit. Oh, I was hyper aware of the fact that there were you know scary drug things going on and. Alcohol, scary alcohol things going on, but having said that, there was a cool sense of community. Like your na- you knew your neighbours, and your neighbours would like check the mailbox for you when you were away and stuff like that. So there was a really nice sense of community, and um, it was a massive house. Yeah, like there were housing commission, but they were it was big. It was like, mm. and and you know, we were talking just before about um, people, you know being outpriced of places like Bondi and but Frankston it was amazing because you did you had the Mount Eliza which was the cliff mansions and then you would go back into the pines and there were these housing commission houses but they were big and so a single mum back then could afford to buy a whole house to bring her kids up in mm. with a big backyard we had a swimming pool we had dogs and yeah. so it was awesome yeah. Your mum was working as a nurse, so a lot of shift work, a lot of night shifts. Totally, and she always kind of felt a bit better with uh, night shift. It also meant that she would be home in the morning for our breakfast, be able to sleep during the day while we were at work, and then be waking up and, like, you know, welcoming us, welcoming us home at the end of the day. And uh-huh. then as we were getting ready to go to bed, uh, she would then go to work. So the two of you would sleep at night without a parent in the house? Yeah, yeah. But not always, yeah. but that was that was often the case. But we had dogs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Never felt unsafe, oh, really. Cool. When we were in the house, never felt unsafe. Nothing weird in the area ever happened like that. I think the weirdest thing I ever heard saw in Frankston was we were doing a show down there um, and some bloke came up and goes, hey, mate, we were doing a Channel V show. He says, hey, hey watch, this, watch Barry, his name, or something. You know, some bloke with a shopping bag full of Woodstocks walks over you want to get this guy on TV? You want to get this guy on TV? It's like, why? What is Why? We're about to go to air. And he goes, well, hey, Steve, show him. And he just reached into his right eye socket and he pulled out a fake no. eye. And he kind uh. of looked around with it like an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. I wish, yeah. That makes me feel very untalented. Oh. <laughs> I don't have party tricks like that. Well, maybe I do. Maybe I don't, I don't, know. I don't know if I not, want not... <laughs> I don't know if I want to. It wouldn't read in this right now no, situation. No, not exactly. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people, sometimes they, they, they find school as a thing that gets in the way of what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Or was school okay for you? Um, I think I was probably the most unpopular person. In, at my high school, like the the nerds would like pick on me as well. I think it was because oh. I was quite brazenly myself. Like I didn't care that nobody liked me. That didn't stop me from. I would do random shit. Like I would start like um, subversive school newspapers. I would start avant garde theater companies. I hate myself as I describe this. Uh, but you know, and we would like I'd, I'd grab a group of misfits and we would like make our own weird with theatre and raise money for prevention of youth suicide and things like that. And three people would come. And uh, uh, so, yeah, that was kind of, I it, I kind of lived in my own bubble. I had amazing teachers. That is what I loved about school. Yeah. I had 
um, incredibly inspiring English teachers, literature, drama and art and, and history. And because of that, um, school stayed very engaging for me. Mm. I was a loner, I, I bet I, and I would hide in the art rooms at lunchtime and stuff. But it never really, it never really bothered me. But when school ended, I knew that I needed to kind of leave Frankston behind and, uh, and, and move into the city. And then yeah. I got into drama school in, in Sydney. So, the you know, the big glamorous city. Yeah. You know, and just my whole life turned upside down. Just so. rewind for a second. What was the title of the subversive newspaper? Oh, shit. I don't think it had a title at no. all. I just, I don't think... But I remember that the avant-garde theatre company was called Black Lemonade. So yeah. that was... <laughs> Black Lemonade. Hi, honey. Audrey's home. Hey, this Audrey. Hi. Hi. Sorry to interrupt you. That's okay. Lovely to meet you. How did you go? Hi. Hi. We've Audrey's been furnished shopping. Yes. It's exhausting. This is the face of someone who's been at Ikea <laughs> and Matt Black. And survived. Did you find a Congratulations. No. No? You're done with you done with, you've over furniture? No, I'm gonna get online and do some more. Oh. Online is a nice We're moving on Sunday release. and Saturday. Yes, yeah, so sorry. Oh no, that's fine. You poor thing, it's like you've got a bit to do still. Yeah, we do. We've got a lot to do. We've got lots to do. We do have we have lots to do. You might be leaving some of it behind, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, just need a bit of water Did you have enough to, some lunch, honey? No, not yet. Well okay. babe, you gotta eat. I don't know. I'm aware. I will do that. I don't know. Uh, so hang on. So a subversive school newspaper. So the subversive school newspaper. What kind of stuff were you writing? Well, I got shut shut down because I was exposing, you know, like, like, um, oh, what would what, 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, what is that word called? Um, corruption. Corrupt. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Uh, theory conspiracies conspiracies yeah so I was kind of like uh, I had a wild imagination and I'd see a broken window and I'd see a teacher nearby and I would just create these stories and hypotheticals that that, that I'm just saying that Mr. S- you know Strathen was seen near the you know, scene of the crime and uh, well so, I need to edit that name out d- uh, no I did make that up oh good it wasn't <laughs> Mr. Strathen <laughs> you won't have to edit that out good uh, but yeah Mr. Strathen was near the scene of the crime so yeah. and was in a particularly bad mood that day and so I would just and these are the kind of things I'd be writing the pa- the school yeah. shut me down um, but and Black Lemonade the theatre company we would do shows like called Kaleidoscope and Anathema and uh, Cacophony and uh, uh, you know Radiohead and Mass Attack and Tori Amos and it was like we're our sound you know yeah. our soundtrack to our angst and uh, yeah very confused audience and yeah I wonder though and this is a time before smartphones absolutely I did not have a mobile phone at all so I wonder how much of this stuff gets created now when people are never bored and people are have an outlet for everything I, I absolutely agree with you like I do think there's particular periods, uh, I mean, because I move in circles where every, all my whole network are creative people, performers of some kind, or writers and musicians. And I do think we have this incredibly easy outlet of an audience, like uh, people have Instagram followers and they're friends on Facebook. I actually think it can kill creativity because you don't have any time to sit on an idea, let it distill, really, you know, 
concentrate and make something really important and go and get it published or find a performance space. We just have like instant access to a Facebook status to like air, you know, a feeling toward a political decision being made at any point in time. And I actually think that it can, it can kill creativity because it's just too easy to get distracted or to just get something off your chest without actually really considering, oh, this could be an incredible play or... Or even have those feelings pile up and pile up and pile up and pile up until you go, I have no choice. But to create Black Lemonade. Exactly. And- <laughs> Make a show called and dance. Yeah, and dance in a bedsheet to Tori Amos. Yeah. You know? I've got no choice. <laughs> But exactly, you know, I think about, I think about that, like, if you are, the, if you are that kid, the loner of loners, the one yeah. who's even outcast by the nerds, yeah. um, if you're there in the corner of the art room at lunchtime, but you're on some Tumblr site that has 10,000 followers and everyone's telling you how good you are, Ben. Totally. Why the fuck do you care? And that would have definitely happened. I would have definitely had 2,000 people telling me how great I was. On I just know that. I just know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but that's, you know, I, want, I wonder, no. you know, if... Absolutely. If, if you don't have that, how, you know, if you don't have that thing just building inside of you until it absolutely has to come out in some way. And also it's an identity thing too. You, you had, I had time to kind of figure out myself and have my own voice before it ever had an audience. Mm. And so it was never really informed by, or I could very, I could choose very carefully who my influences were. It mm. wasn't out there being, uh, toing and froing yeah. with, with other people altering my voice so by the time I was 20 and at drama school where finally I was being judged and and streamlined and sculpted by mentors I had a really cool strong sense of self that had happened in private you know so yeah I wonder about but that that is that is now so public from yeah. very very early I mean I see I see the kid she's on you know she's on snapchat she's on yeah she's like that's how i communicate with her yeah wow <laughs> oh my gosh yes yeah, wow and you know she has an entire community of of her friends totally and, and she's about to go to high school and uh you know the kids from her primary school are all going in different directions and i'm thinking oh it's not like it was when i left because no, you really said goodbye i really said goodbye yeah but now it's like well they're just still and at the end of the day you really said goodbye do you yeah. know what I mean? Like you would go home and yeah. go to bed and fall asleep. But, you know, um, I, I'm, you know, I have kids in my life who are going to bed, talking yeah. to their friends till like they're unco- like, yeah, it just never stops. Yeah. So I do, I do wonder about that. And, and, and more recently, and I'm, I'm grateful that I've, you know, since I've been living with Audrey, she's mm-hmm. definitely pointed out how much I am on the phone. You and, are. Yeah, absolutely. And the other day, what I do the other day, I was listening to, uh, it's unfortunate, but she tells me something very, very early, and I go, yeah, honey, you're right, and then I have to hear it from three or four other places before I go, oh, okay, I'll do something about it. <laughs> I should just listen to that. <laughs> but I time. went from using Instagram as, a, as an input, as in just scrolling through, just seeing nothing, yeah. you know, just thumbing through other people's bullshit. Yeah. And I just went and found this program that just unfollowed everyone that wasn't following me. And I went from like following three and a half thousand people to 400. Wow. And now I only use Instagram as an outward facing thing. Mm-hmm. And, as, I, and by outward, do you mean as in your posting? Yeah. 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 That's it. I don't use it to see what else is going on in the world yeah. anymore. Yeah. And I have about another 20 minutes every day. Yeah. Which is two and a half hours at the end of a working week. Yeah. Which is great. I'm getting heaps more done. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet those things are vortexes. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I'm not saying, and I, I say that like as a total hypocrite, like I love, I love Instagram. I think, I, I think I like it because 
I don't know, there's something about words, Facebook statuses and things that annoy me. I don't know why. Because if people can't help mm. having an opinion, yeah. and that's what a Facebook status is there for. But yeah. opinions don't seem as aggravating on Instagram. It's just... I don't know. It's pretty. It's harder. I think it's harder to be really, really racist on Instagram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Way so, easier to be super racist on Facebook. Totally. You're so right. Super <laughs> right. What was that great? That great line. It's not my line. It's just Facebook's a great way of keeping in touch with the people you went to high school with and finding out just how racist they really are. Uh huh. Yeah. I think when I first, when Facebook first started, because obviously by the time Facebook started, I'd been away from high school for the ten over ten year period. Yeah. And. And then, oh, wow, you got to see what everyone was doing in high school. And then I was like, okay, bye. Yeah. I'm on my second unfriend, Facebook profile unfriend. now. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah, I just, I had one completely that was associated with <laughs> There's no my, self my old life. Right. And that's, you now just, that just had to live somewhere. <laughs> no. I don't know. Maybe those people are still posting, in, wow. you know, birthday invitations and sending <laughs> invitations to pirates versus ninjas. I don't know. Uh, but now, yeah. Um, so clean slate. There's a bit of a space between high school and when you got into drama school. There, mm-hmm. what, what, what were those years like? What did you do? Um, I I knew I wanted to be an actor. How uh, early did you know that? What was that? How early did you know that? How early did you oh. know when you stood on stage and went, "Oh, this is it"? Um, well, I started off as a ballet dancer because um, I used to like dance naked around my grandma's lounge room, and she was like, "Hmm, this boy should." learn to dance and my family was extremely supportive my dad enrolled at that point my father was still involved and enrolled in ballet to show his solidarity because he was into fitness and thought ballet dancers are the fittest they are. man alive they, they really are so i was very lucky so from home i got into ballet and as these went by uh the, my ballet teacher was asked if i could sing and then i got into a musical and from musical theater i realized that was more socially acceptable than ballet dancing for which I was extremely bullied for and because this was pre-Billy Elliot and a boy doing ballet dancing in Frankston in the late 80s early 90s was weird and um, and so that was okay because I was like oh I can still have this creative outlet and so musical theatre then just turned into serious um, black lemonade acting so Mm. I um, you know and then I became a huge theatre snob and then packed away musical theatre and was like into Shakespeare having absolutely no idea what I was doing but tights were the tights in no no the tights were packed away with the ballet shoes so um, yeah Uh, it was all like you know skinny jeans and like emo kind of um, stuff for a few years oh yeah 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 Um, and that's and that's and so I I, I knew from being a child that I wanted to be a performer and then that kind of crystallised into acting in probably my early teenage years and then I had awesome drama teachers and I got lead roles in um, school plays like Man, we did it. Our high school musical was Man of Steel, and I was a skinny, pimply, gangly teenager. And I was just, I think I must have like auditioned with such conviction that they gave me Superman because I think I look back and go, it was probably the most ridiculous thing to look at was this short, skinny teenager yeah. play Superman. So you and uh, you're the second person on the show that's done Man of Steel. <laughs> oh, you're out. Uh, so Lee Sales. <laughs> Are you serious? Lee Sales did Man of Steel. Did he play Man of Steel? She. Lee she, Sales, 7.30 report, Lee Sales. Oh, my God. Lee Sales. Who did she play in it? I don't know. I think Lois, maybe. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah. My Lois Lane was, like, way, way taller yeah. than me. Yeah. And um, it's actually a really yeah. great high school musical. Well, because it my, facilitates about 100 my, people being on stage. My old music, my old music teacher wrote it. <laughs> You're joking. Ian Doricott wrote it. Oh, my God. I remember that name being mm. on the script. Yep. Ian Doricott, he wrote wow. Man of Steel, yeah, just a Brisbane guy, he was the first guy to ever show me a, a MIDI port plugging into an Apple Mac, he was the first what guy. What a small to, world. Yeah, yeah, it's Australia, mate. 
That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, he was an interesting cat. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, that well, that's where it all began. Yeah. Also, <laughs> with Man of Steel. I, I'm I'm gonna guess he didn't play DC Comics any royalties. <laughs> <laughs> no. Although I was obsessed with Lois and Clark at the time, I was like, I thought I was in love with Terry Hatcher, and so I just felt like by being being able to play Man of Steel brought me closer to Terry Hatcher in some in some perverse kind of way. At 14, I think I was 14 at the time. So yeah, it was pretty crazy. I had long curly hair. Oh, really? It was. It was so weird. When I look back at the photos, it was... Um, and I just ripped off Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Like, my, my Superman was just basically Jim Carrey in a, uh-huh. as Ace Ventura. And that was right. like... But, you know, Frank's... Was, 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 was there any guy liner going on? Um, no, not guy liner, but I did have fake chest hair because we tried on the suit. And I just had a, an extremely revealing cleavage cut uh, Superman suit. So, the S was basically my on my belly button and we were like well what are we going to do with all this this like teenage male cleavage and of course at 14 there was not a not a hair yeah. and so they just stuck fake hair to my chest it was so gross oh, so yeah no man. so no no i i probably did have eyeliner on as well i can't <laughs> imagine i would have put myself on stage without making the most of that so you say you got you got how quickly now was it much of a flight was there a group of people who like the day high school ended, uh-huh. just fled Frankston. Uh, pretty much, pretty much. I I got my driver's license. I got um, my mum helped me get a car, um, and uh, I yeah, I moved I moved into the close to the city. So I lived in the sort of uh, Kensington area like in that Melbourne. Summer? No, school. it was probably about a year okay. of, of, of still being at home while I started. Like, I started a uni course uh-huh. that wasn't acting. It was writing uh-huh. at Deakin. And then, and then as that year progressed, I realized, oh, you know, you make friends and get flatmates and you, and, you, and you move away. Got it. Yeah. Got it, got it. So, it probably took me a year after high school to be completely... Still, mate, that's fast compared to now. Yeah. People living home till they're 30. Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah, that. I know. I was 19, so... Yeah, yeah, me too. I was 19 when I moved You were? Home. Yeah, yeah. It was good. So... It was good. That first time that you'd realise, oh, there isn't any bread. I haven't bought any bread. I don't have any money to buy any bread. I guess I'm not having any bread. <laughs> I have no clean clothes. So, yeah, I think the laundry was the big thing for me. I was just like... <laughs> Oh, this this shit never stops. <laughs> this no. cycle of like never dirty clothes. It's horrible. So, what was the audition process like to get up to this drama school in Sydney? Um, it took me. I got in on my second try. Ah, and I how was did in, you get past getting told no? Uh well, the first time I got shortlisted, so I got as far That's as you could worse. before getting in, but. It, I didn't even... But Nida was like... As a boy growing up in Frankston, and uh, when I did Man of Steel, someone said, if you want to be an actor, you've got to go to this drama school called Nida in Sydney. So it was planted in my seat at 15, and it became this, like, untouchable, mm. you know, place. So when I bought... You know, you pay to enrol into an audition, and they send you these list of monologues, and you have to do a contemporary piece and a Shakespeare piece. I just... I didn't think I would ever get in. And... Um, and, you know, I worked really hard on them and, you know, um, got a tutor to help me understand Shakespeare a bit more. And it was, it was scary. But at the same time, it was amazing when, I guess, like it's, then I remember when the reality, like Idol and stuff started to come out, it reminded me so much of that elimination process. Because you go through, you know, elimination after elimination and you're auditioning in front of all the other, all the other people. One hopefuls and um, and it it was addictive. It's actually a really 
incredible feeling to do something you've loved your whole life to do. And there's this head of acting picking you out uh, round after round after round. And once you're shortlisted, you get filmed and then a month later you'll get a phone call, yes or no. So the phone call is kind of horrible, but everything else felt great. Mm. And so you're like, oh, I've come and I'm going back, I'm going back. So I was terrified though that if I'd go back the second year and didn't get to the same point, that would be that would have been horrible. But right. I did get all the way through again and then finally got in. What did you do between year one and year two that you think made the difference? Um, I took Roaccutane, which cleared up my skin. <laughs> so, so yeah, I was like, I had terrible skin as a teenager. And then, yeah, after that first audition, I was like, it's because I've got bad skin. So I went and fixed that. But then I also joined St. Martin's, which is like this uh, youth theatre company like ATYP is in Sydney. Mm-hmm. St. Martin's was then, at least, I don't know about now, but in mm-hmm. Melbourne was where young people could go to have access to kind of professional um, type mentorship. Mm. And so, yeah, I spent a year there with them. Yeah. And that kind of gave me a bit more confidence. You keep, you keep mentioning uh, mentoring and mentorship. Yeah, right. It's pretty important to you, right? Well, I guess I didn't have a dad. And so for me, it was always about, um, for me, uh, like my, I had incredible, like my drama teacher in high school, um, the artistic director of St. Martin's during that time, who was Brett Adam and, um, directors of like community theater and things like that. I would sort of really turn to them. Um, cause I kind of had no idea. My mum was an incredible mum, but you still want a role model. Yeah. And so, yeah, mentors have been a, an incredible an incredible yeah I've, a lot of, of people th- you know a lot of people in my in my opinion uh, may not understand or realize how valuable it is to just have someone who knows better than you how to do it yeah and that it's not a weak thing to to go and seek their advice in fact it's a it's a smart and powerful thing absolutely to go and seek their advice but also it's just the power of um the power of just observation um you don't know sometimes how much of a role model you're being to someone who's developing because people just copy without even knowing they're doing it and even behavior that's irresponsible and that you don't want someone to emulate it's like if you're doing it in front of them they're just gonna a developing person just even if they hate the behavior will you just you you like people just start to do things you just unconsciously yeah. We're built to copy. That's how we're being programmed yeah. to learn. That's why the world of dance has changed completely since YouTube showed up. It's, yeah. It's utterly. Yeah. Utterly. Completely yeah. shifted. Yeah. That dance moves are being, uh, I've, I've seen a study about it, you know, like some, someone will morph and create and, and advance and iterate a, a dance routine within a space of 72 hours to, you know, cause it just flies around the world. Yeah. People just learn the choreography and, you yeah. know, have their influences from somewhere, you know, I've done a street dancer in India and then some guy from Africa does it. And then some guy from South Korea where they're just incredible break dancers does yeah. it. And then, and all of a sudden it's like, it evolves. Yeah. yeah. And cause we're, yeah, that's exactly right. You're, yeah. you're exactly right. And that's, you know, never have I been more aware of that than now when I realize that, you know, every, interaction that the kid sees may do with her mother yeah is she may not know it but you know and i don't think i'm full of ego to say it but like this is where you start setting those expectations of absolutely what she should expect from 
uh, a interaction yeah, between, yeah, or, or, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is what a healthy relationship should look like. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I just have to, I try as much as I can. I just try, try so hard. Man. Yeah. That's why I think, um, I really, I really see now how fighting in front of kids is uh, a very, um, oh, precarious thing to do like when I when I was a kid yeah. I, I remember seeing fighting and things mm. and then as an adult you hear the same kind of patterns in your own relationships yeah and you go oh my god oh. and it's like I remember as a kid hating that and I'm doing it having there's no worse feeling and people say there's no worse feeling than hearing you say parents oh, who I know say yeah. there's no worse feeling than when you're disciplining your kid hearing words fly to your mouth that your mum or dad used to say to you yeah I don't know that, but I know what it's like to be in an argument and have words fly out of my mouth that I heard my dad say to my mum yep. in, in a heated moment. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's good though. Oh. Like, there's sometimes good, but when it's, yeah. When, oh, when... it was never good. I, I, <laughs> never look, as far as fighting in front of kids, yeah. in, in my opinion, I think it's, it's okay to show a kid that you can be passionately disagreeable about something sure. and come to a conclusion and find a compromise and everything be okay. And yeah. like, if you do have to raise your voices, that... Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. It doesn't, you know, that it it's can. It's merely a phase it in away. positive, constructive communication. Yeah, but calling someone names or humiliating yes. someone or like in public at parties when you you oh. you you've got had a bit too much to drink and all of a sudden you're like humiliating your partner and that's not a fucking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. And just like you're saying pointlessly criticizing yeah. and belittling and things like that. Oh. Like I don't know if a kid I remember seeing that happen between adults in my family and mm. uh I don't think it I think I could have lived without it. <laughs> you know, I think I remember as a kid seeing it and I didn't know what it was, but I just know I felt awful. awful. I just felt awful inside. Yeah. Because you know, I was picking up on the energy of what was going on. Yeah. I just, these people aren't supposed to talk. These people are supposed to protect me. What yeah, the yeah, fuck? yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, so, totally. So hang on. So anyway, <laughs> you, this was all back behind you. Yeah. And then you, you get into NIDA, the mm-hmm. National Institute of Dramatic Art. Yep. Kate Blanchett. You know, bloody Judy Davis, Mel Gibson, Baz Luhrmann. They've all been there. They've all been there. It's it's the star factory. Yeah. Were you like, ah, my people? Um, I, yeah, I I expected to walk in the door and meet like 24 of me. Yeah. And. Aren't you that guy from Black Lemonade? (laughs) Yeah, basically. Didn't you, you know, so what was your avant-garde theatre company called? (laughs) And and that didn't quite happen, but I did meet the best friends of my life. Like three, there are three, there were three chicks in my year and we just became like the, like 
a family mm. because we were all from in uh, other other cities. Yeah. Um, from Hobart, from Melbourne, and from Perth, and the four of us. Um, yeah, we kind of forged our own, and they were like. It was like finding my people, mm. but it was, it was surreal. And I was very scared of being kicked out all through first year. I was yeah. Quite... They're ruthless there. Mm. They really, not many people. It's like freaking Navy SEALs. Not many people get to the end. And a lot of people know how to, uh, I think people with very kind of good and bad self-esteem are able to psych out other people. And I was very susceptible to being psyched out. So mm. if there was a boy in my year who was a little bit cocky, it co- probably was coming from a place of deep insecurity in his, in, inside of him. But I completely like internalized all of that and, and became like, I cast myself as the underdog, you know, um, even though I needn't have. And, uh, so yeah, spent most of the first year kind of very rigidly scared of mm taking a wrong move and so after second you know after that I started to become more relaxed and when it was clear that I was not going to get kicked out that I could really tap into you know what I felt was special about me as a performer how long did that underdog thing last I graduated like definitely as like like least likely yeah boy least likely in my year and um you know which was I heard from everyone at school as well, which was fine because it, it was actually incredible because it completely gave me no expectations. So I was like, cool, I'm just going to graduate and be, you know, do funny, funny things at parties. And, um, and, but I got an agent and I did get work and, um, I've been able to get gigs that are really cool and different and get to, you know, that do show off what I do that's different. And that's way um, it's way better. And I was like always grateful. Mm. I was grateful for everything I ever got as opposed to um, uh, some people I know who graduated being promised like that they were going to become something that didn't happen. And um, I watched what that did to them. And that was, that was worse. Yeah. I think that was way worse, you know. Yeah. Mate, having, having got off the plane in Los Angeles, going, okay, I'm here. Yeah. Having done that. And then... <laughs> A little bit of it came but my way. But you were there for 10 years. Yeah, I was, yeah. And a little bit of it came my way. It was quite nice. Yep. So I got a network gig and yep. I did some prime time. And yep. was, it was pretty great. It was yep. pretty fucking good. And then there wasn't any. And it, yeah, it took a, a while for me to go, yeah. That's hard. Yeah, I'm really aging myself out here, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some minor, yeah. yeah. Expectations was, can be horrible. Yeah. I think, yeah. Have none. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best advice I can give There's anyone. There's your t-shirt right there, man. <laughs> Expect <laughs> nothing. Expectation is your cat poster. Expectation is going to be terrible. Have none. Venture on. One man show. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yes. I'm yeah. soon to Pot's point. Yes, it's left. Oh, it's made me very happy. <laughs> As a result. So when did you, I mean, people may know you, and I'll do this in the intro, people would know sure. you from uh, more recently, the, um, the stuff you've done on... Um, on uh, 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 Hostel. The, yeah, the Degeneration show. The, the, oh, Open Slather. Yeah, Open yeah, Slather. Yeah, yeah. Your, your ability in mimicry is, is remarkable. Oh, thanks. When, <laughs> when did you realize that this was a thing that you could do? Um, I think in second year, we got taught phonetics when we were being taught how to do different dialects. And that's when I realized with my best friend at the time, uh, who's still my best friend, Zinzi, that we loved accents. We loved phonetics. We loved breaking down dialects. And for me, that became an entry point into 
different types of people, like not just different accents from around the world, but different types of Australian accents and how that would delineate class systems and backgrounds and how much you could <laughs> gather from a person just by the way they spoke. Yeah, yeah. And so that became my ear just got really tuned into that. And it's what like fascinates me every day of my life, you know, um, whether I'm, you know, on a film set or a, in a theater or working in a restaurant, uh, just the way people speak is really, really interesting to me. And just, yeah. So I think that's where it came from. And so when, on Open Slither, all of a sudden you have this incredible outlet because you're creating characters, but you're also observing actual people out in the world. And yeah, I loved that. Like all of a sudden Gina Riley would come to you going, I've written a sketch, you're in it. I'm like, oh, cool. Who am I playing? Donatella Versace. And you know, it's like, you get this awesome chance. Your homework becomes watching really tacky TV movies and uh, YouTube videos of Donatella Versace being completely impenetrable. And it's just like these, I don't think anything excites me more, you know? So, um, yeah, I think that's where it comes from. Just, just an obsession with what people sound like vocally. I don't know. I just think voices are amazing. But you got, you got very good at it. <laughs> yeah. I think when you really love something, you spend a lot of time doing it. And when you, yeah. when it makes your friends laugh, you, you know, yeah. That's really, I think you're onto something when you're yeah. making your friends what laugh. What was the first, uh, what was the first impression you did that you really went, oh yeah, this is a goodie. Oh my God. We used to love, um, we used to love impersonating our drama teachers at drama school like that was of course course, a no-brainer of course uh and so i think you start with that and um then each other and then you know you'd be doing a production and we like zinzi and i would just love start imitating the way people did their lines because people you you start you know people might do the same line the same way 20 times in a row and it just becomes funny because you're like you'll just randomly in the middle of like a sentence say the line completely out of context and you both recognize it and it just, it just becomes funny. You mentioned, you mentioned the, the phonetics and the social classes. We were talking the other night at poker about um, the, you know, the people, when people do that, the like the bloke with the shopping bag full of Woodstocks. Yeah, yeah. It's all fucking straight through the nose, right? Totally. And then it's not quite authentic until you put the, um, the victim at the end of it which is you either you end every sentence with Archer or didn't I? Totally. Like, I haven't got enough fucking money. I've got, what is it? No. I haven't got any money because I had to give it all to Sharon, didn't I? <laughs> exactly. I don't, it's like, and every It's because you did that, didn't you? <laughs> Why have you oh my God, you remind me of Glenn Robbins. You know, it's never, it's never, <laughs> that's the best and nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Um, you know, it's never their fault. You yeah, know, it's never that totally. person. That person's never at blame. But that's what I mean. It says so yeah. much about, like, when you've grown up being defensive yeah. or having to be defensive or being put on the defensive yeah. and you've got like this kind of unconscious ending to every thought that yeah. kind of just like absolves you of any responsibility in your life. Like, I don't know, little clues like that say, tell you so much about people that's so entertaining. But isn't it so, it's so powerful if you go into the word, like if you believe in the NLP kind of stuff, you yep. start going yep. into the linguistics of it. Totally. And that, um, you know, if that is in your verbal the way you think in words that the absolving of any responsibility is in the unconsciously ending of every thought yep they don't even know they're doing it what does that say like you know and then something why am i still in this you know Mm -hmm. place that i don't like yeah because everything i've done 
even though I don't know it, has put me in a victim mode. Yeah. And I've never been able to get out of it. Absolutely. And and we all have those things. Like, mm. uh, like our own version of, of, of you know, um, Dincha, like, uh, every every type of person has those like inbuilt unconscious defense mechanisms in their lane, their own vocabulary. Yeah. And, and when, and that, I think that's the key to, um, mimicry and, and, and tapping into a character is like just identifying that, like you've just done with that guy in Frankston, (laughs) but I didn't say Frankston, he's everywhere, but the women in plots point, you know, and the, like, yeah, from that to that, there is, everyone has those little isms, like, and those things are really cool. So, so what's it like turning up to work with Glenn Robbins and Gina Riley and like comedy royalty in our country? It would have been so scary if they weren't just such relaxed, um, generous people. Like I, I grew up worshipping Big Girl's Blouse. It was like my favourite show. I watched it so many times. Kim's Wedding. With it. Kim's Wedding, but like all the weird stuff that they did as well. Um, you know, sketches that, you know, were characters. Gina Riley, Maggie Javansky and... Kathleen. Jane Turner. Jane Turner. Oh, Kathleen. <laughs> it was the precursor to Kath and Kim. It was. Kath and Kim. Kath and Kim was a sketch on Big Girl's yeah, Blouse. Yeah, totally. And... Um, and so, yeah, turning, uh, and I was obsessed with that. So to be on a set with them, but Gina Riley said something really amazing because I'd never written my own sketches, sketches before, but the audition for Open Slayer was we had to write something. And so I did. Anyway, got cast on the show and then the producers all of a sudden started to talk about how we would be encouraged to create our own stuff. And I was terrified because I was like, well, I don't do that, you know. Um, and Gina Riley said, do you improvise? And I said, oh, yeah, like, you know, voices and stuff at parties that make people laugh and then from there at drama school we'd kind of improvise scenes and she was like well that's writing and she said everything I write comes from a place of improvisation out loud not at desk with a pencil and paper and I think that really unleashed something in me and so it's amazing when someone you've looked up to for so many years becomes a mentor in a moment and unleashes something really cool like that so and that's just the kind of women like Magda and Gina are very intelligent, pretty quiet people, like introverted people and, um, and like, but very generous and laugh, like they would laugh at your offers and, you know, incredibly encouraging and, um, yeah, just uh, for folks who are listening in an improvisational situation an offer is when you go, Oh, a hot day, isn't it? All right, that's the offer <laughs> to the other person in the scene to let them know. Oh my that. god, we're all going to die! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a hot day, um, and so that's that's giving an offer. And the worst crime of an improviser is to deny, it's deny to an block. Offer. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. We're inside. <laughs> oh, thanks, thanks, mate. And scene is over. Scene is over. And yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so to have someone like that laugh at a at an offer you're putting out there is like it's. it's oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah. And, um, I mean, I think you prepare yourself for that not happening because Mm. they don't have to do that. But when they do, it just made it so much more fun. And there were some, yeah, some really amazing days that we got to. So it's just an interesting crew of people that have seemed to, I'm sure they've had ups and downs. I'm sure they have times where they're Mm -hmm. like, Ooh, what are we going to do with the mortgage this month? But they seem to have never stopped working since 1982. Yeah. They just seem to have constantly been going from gig to gig to gig to gig. In this crew of people, and they've with acquired, their friends. Totally. They've acquired a mythology, though, as Gina kind of um, 
Riley made clear to me um, a couple of months ago. She said, we look really successful and we look like we've always been really successful, but people forget Big Girl's blouse was axed halfway through the season. The last three episodes were only ever seen on DVD, but people forget and it's become this kind of cult thing that everyone talks about and raves. And she says, you know, fast forward and full frontal exist in best of YouTube videos that have acquired a mythology that when the show was airing, you know, it was a different world as well. Like we only had four TV channels or whatever. Yeah. And, um, but she said also Kath and Kim, like had a very inauspicious beginning where, uh, people thought it was a terrible idea up until, you know, it started to screen. And she said, people forget. And now it just looks like, oh my God, you, everything was always amazing. And she goes, no, we actually, it was really, felt like failures a lot of the time. Yeah. And, um, and I think time can distort that. Mm. It's like, and I thought that was, I took a lot, I took a lot of heart from that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I feel like a failure so much. I feel great now. So, yeah. Now you've come, you've come here on a day that you're rehearsing. Uh, which I'm very grateful for that you've taken time out of your rehearsal schedule no because you're in the middle of a, I don't quite want to call it a one man show. It's a one person show. I think Yeah, it <laughs> it's is. It's almost, yeah. you know, totally. I want to be as respectful as possible to the, to, the, yeah. to the show. Yeah. So the a Doug Wright play, I am my own wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now from what I understand of it, it's, it's a, it's a story based on an actual person mm-hmm. who, uh, uh, I'm going to fuck up the suffix transgender transvestite yep transvestite transvestite yep um uh who lived not only through nazi occupied germany yep. but then also communist germany yeah in 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 east in the east oh, so damn. yeah yeah how did you first find out about this show um i i was at drama school when uh, the original production toured to australia i don't remember the production but i remember that i loved it and it starred an incredible actor called Jefferson Mays, who had just won the Tony. It had just won the Pulitzer Prize. That production came to Sydney. And I do, I remember seeing it. Mercifully, I do not remember his performance so that I don't have his voice in my head now that I've come to learn it for myself. Mm. Um, and then a, a year ago, uh, the director came to me and said he was interested in doing, you know, doing a re- a director wanted to do a remount in a, on a much smaller scale at this really cool new theatre company that was starting at the old Fitz. And and I was like, uh, okay. And I was terrified. And I was like, but read the theatre company said yes. And the director was enthusiastic. And uh, it all fell into place. So that's how it happened. So it's... And that was a year ago. It's and you I, by yourself on stage. Yeah. Yeah. For just under an hour and a half playing 30 characters. But you say 30 characters, but like it, it's really probably four f- or five main characters. And then with a sprinkling of people that kind of litter the piece. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, essentially the, the two roles are the um, Charlotte von Marstorff, who is the transvestite, and Doug Wright, who is, an, who is the playwright, but also a character in the piece. And it's 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 that's a, right because he travelled to interview her. Yeah, he found out about her and this this incredible um, person who had survived yeah. living openly as a transvestite through Nazi Germany and Cold War um, East Berlin, and was like, ah, uh, I need to find out more. And so the play is basically a conversation between the two of them of him kind of trying to figure out who Charlotte was, 
And um, it almost sounds like a, a version of an adaption that uh, totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, he call. I mean, the, the like he calls it. Hang on, um, he's got the he's got the the, the play on sorry. on the desk here. But yeah, because uh, like under the title of the play on the book, it's studies for a play about the life of Charlotte von Malsdorf, which sounds very kind of like ad hoc, yeah. really. But I mean, the play is beautifully structured. It's, yeah. I mean that it's it's a, definitely a proper play, and um, yeah, just the gift for like a terrifying gift for an actor. I'm so glad I had a year to prepare. So I was going to ask about this on, on batch. Like sometimes I go, mate, it's three pages of script. And I'll go, it's fine. I can learn three pages of script, which yeah. is something I'm grateful that because in live television, I never got a chance to do that, but in batch yeah. we pre-record. And so it's a nice thing that I get to work on because we all like to do something new. Yep. Um, you've got, it looks like it'd be a hundred and something pages. No, no, 70 pages. 70 pages. There's yeah. still a lot of dialogue, mate. Totally. And there's this, uh, he's just flicking through the book here. There's just, each page is just riddled with pencil notes and inflection points and breath marks. And it's swear words. extraordinary. The, the amount Suicide of, letters. The, yeah. amount of prep, the amount of prep work that you've, you've done here. But, um, I once heard Anthony, um, uh, 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 Anthony Hopkins, uh, Oscar oh winner, Anthony Hopkins, uh, say when he gets a script for a film, he reads it mm-hmm. 250 times at a minimum because he said, then I know that I know that I know it. Yeah. I, I, I don't think I would say the same sentence, but definitely the sentiment of that last thought of I need to know that I know that I know is, is absolutely when I first came in contact with the reality that I would be doing this a year ago is exactly how I felt. And um, so I started learning the lines a year ago. Uh, the dialect work started a year ago. Um, learning, because characters speak fluent German at different moments throughout the piece. And so understanding what you're actually saying and um, and then the history into the period, like you need to know that you know that you know, because mm. I, I, it's just not something you can, I, I could fathom walking out on stage and feeling like a fraud. Like it, you just need to... Yeah. Know that you know, that you know. Yeah. It's such an incredible way of putting it. Well, it's, he's a... He's yeah, yeah. Hannibal Lecter, Who was he mate. again? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's world's fastest, world's fastest India. Which is one of my favourite of his films, actually, to be honest. Really? So, yeah, I, yeah. I haven't seen that one. It's the one about the New Zealander who, who beat the motorcycle uh, land speed record. I don't... Yeah, it's actually it's actually really, wow. really, really sweet. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, it's, it's actually... It's really, oh, it's really cool. quite good. Uh, but yeah, because everyone knows him from Lecter. Yeah. But the... Uh, the World's Fight Cinema is actually really, it's a really sweet okay. film. Because I've got a thing for, maybe it's because I like Peter Jackson's early films, the, that kind Heavenly of... Heavenly Creatures? Exactly. Oh. The 50s, yeah. um, the 50s New Zealand uh, utopia. Kate Winslet's first movie. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The, the, that kind of ideal of, like, New Zealand was this perfect version of British culture. Yeah. That everything was, was absolutely... Per- don't worry about the natives. Don't worry about the natives. Just perfect. Transplantation. Know, manicured yeah. lawns and everybody was fine and we went to church on Sundays and we had Sunday roasts. Yeah. You know, everything was clean and all white people. And, and the cracks that simmered through that. Exactly. Yeah. Which is where your brain dead and, you know, stuff comes from that yeah. he makes horror movies. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah. I loved all those early films. I was yes. such a fan yeah. of, of all, those, all those early films. Uh, which which is why that that was fast Indian thing is is kind of fascinating uh, fascinating to me. So when you were obviously as as an actor, you need to have stuff to draw on. What was it about your background work into this time in human history mm-hmm. 
which is very recent. My parents were alive when it happened. Yeah. They were both quite heavily affected by both of those regimes. Right. Um, what was that thing about you that, that you were, when you were looking for and looking into, mm-hmm. surprised you? Uh, it started with a trip to Berlin and, uh, one of the coolest fucking cities on the planet. One of the absolutely <laughs> most incredibly, you get off the plane and they go, oh, and here's your leather pants. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't, the thing is with Berlin, cause I went in winter. Oh yeah. That's how where, good, it's, isn't it? where it's not as, it's not a beautiful city like other cities in Europe. No. are. It Cause it had quite, the shit bombed out of it. Totally. And it's quite, it, I mean, the tear garden had no leaves. It looked post-apocalyptic. Mm. Like it was quite. Um, desolate looking but inside that the people are so progressive and I did one of those what I thought would be a really daggy walking tour and it was just the most unbelievably like the lid being lifted off you know and just seeing what had happened in this city and it just made me realise that Berlin was the epicentre of history in the 20th century just like it was the epicentre of everything that happened in the world you know Berlin was just at the guts of it absolutely and um and I hadn't, I didn't know a lot about um, the Cold War and the Berlin Wall and what life was like in East Berlin during that period and just how infiltrated into society the Stasi was. Um, Stasi was the secret police. The secret police. The secret police. And yeah. one in every handful of citizens was working as an informant. So you could be at a dinner party with who you thought were your closest friends and pretty much guarantee that someone there was an informant um, working for the Stasi to um, weasel out dissidents against uh, the communist regime. You wouldn't have got away with your newspaper there, mate. No. <laughs> Black Lemonade wouldn't have gone down well. <laughs> yeah, not in Prince Albert. Um, so. How good are the restaurants in Prenzlberg now? Oh, my God. Good coffee. So yeah. Good. <laughs> so I love yeah, yeah, yeah. Prince Albert. My cousin, my cousin lives in, in Berlin. Oh. I, I love to go visit her. Yeah, it's I great. Just, I could live there in a... I mean, oh, I and blank. Yeah. Because it's one of, like, I think Berlin and maybe Amsterdam are two European cities you can live in and, and just speak English. Yeah. You know, okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, I would love to, I mean, I've learned a little bit for the play, but it just to become fluent, like in something. Yeah. Berlin was just yeah. So going to Berlin, um, uh, uh, actually being in the city, mm. like just exposed me to so much that was yeah. visceral seeing the bullet holes in the buildings yeah. and um and and the scar that's left of the wall it's nice i've left it i i agree and i also what i really love was um there's the most incredible museum uh, museums um about world war ii and the cold war but where the bunker hitler's bunker was is just <laughs> hitler's bunker is just uh, an old car park. They have. There is no sense of reverence or celebration no. or about it. There's a sign that says this is where it was. Yeah. And around the corner is the most beautifully moving uh, monument um, to uh, the Holocaust. And with all the blocks, oh, yeah. the grey blocks. Yeah, yeah, the grey blocks. Yeah. It's like this, like oh, it's s- harrowing. Yeah, it's like this paddock of concrete yeah. blocks of different heights. Mm. And um, I really respect the city because they, they, I feel, anyway, people might disagree with me, but I feel like the city has really taken responsibility and there is a deep shame, but a, a great sense of um, being progressive and mm. facing um, its history yeah. and that the symbolism of the Reichstag being transparent and that Germany from now on is going to remain progressive and mm. our government is going to remain progressive. Mm. And... Um, and that's so clear when you're there. Mm. And yeah, 
that was really cool. I remember when the when the wall fell yeah. and Roger Waters went and did that massive uh, the wall live in 1990, I think, or oh, 90, wow. 91. He went and did it in um, in uh, Potsdam Platz, like yep. the, which was the no man's land between yep. between the two. With Brandenburg Gate. Yeah, and he said that when they were setting the gig up, nothing had happened there. Mm-hmm. All right, and they, they were actually just like building the set and the stage and everything on this empty bit of land that nothing was going on. And they'd found um, part of the bunker that you're, you're talking about, which has now been developed over. Yep. And apparently on the walls, there were murals, you know, almost like religious iconography mm. of the SS uh, as, you know, as angels. And, yeah. Yeah. It was very weirdly religiously fucking strange. Yeah, well, it totally tapped into this kind of cult-like mythology Truly. of um, the, the German... Aryan species, you yeah. know, it was, it's very creepy. But and exactly the, the way that they deal with the history, like for example, I went to the um, the, the cinema museum there, mm-hmm. which is uh, brilliant, and they had this incredible Lenny Ruffin style part. Oh um, God! And just the way they dealt who with who was the filmmaker? Yeah, she's the filmmaker. The propaganda. Who, if you ever look at any of the propaganda films, they're just it's glorious, yeah,ly terrifying yeah. how beautiful it is, yeah. and you can see how an entire nation was just bewitched by this. Yes. Because it was That's the first such a time word. a yeah. lot of people were seeing these kind of moving images of, of glorious human bodies. It was around the Olympics um, of 36. Uh, these glorious human bodies just perfectly formed. So sexy. Air, just, so glamorous. Oh, my yeah. God. And, and But the way they deal with it, this whole wing uh, of like, you know, she didn't... We wouldn't have modern cinema if it weren't for her. Right. And so we kind of have to have a nod to the stuff she did. Yeah. Though the way they've dealt with it is that all the stuff is in, um, uh, you know, like when you go to, in the old days, you go to an architect and they'd pull out these enormously skinny, but very, very wide drawers where the maps would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just whole walls of these kind of drawers. And so you walk in and there's a blank room. All right. And, and you pull the drawers out and you'll see there's like a flat screen, uh, with the, the vision playing oh. on it. And then you push the wall, push it back in. Oh, so wow. you, you only, um, you only open it up to look at it. They don't have it blaring off the walls. It's yep. a, a very, very, very interesting. And I like, I'd certainly like the way they just like demolished that bunker and like, don't even worry about it. Yeah, it no is. Point. It's this extremely, um, bland mm. sign. There's yeah. no picture of Hitler or anything. It just is, this is where it was. And it's, it's literally a like asphalted car park. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> awesome. It's so yeah. like, it's so great. And how, well, what about, did you get in touch with any of the transgender community or the trans, transvestite community? It's in, well, it's quite interesting because I had, I, I filmed a role in the Molly Meldrum TV movie that's coming out in February. And the character I actually played in that was um, a transgendered uh, woman called Caroline Jenkins, who was Molly Meldrum's best friend in the early 70s. Molly, Molly's is just for folks overseas. Molly's is massive uh, musical icon of our country. He was the one that told us on the Sunday night countdown show about all of our music. So Madonna, yeah. Blondie, ABBA all had their first number one hits in the world because of Molly. Absolutely. Bringing yeah, that yeah. music to Australia. He truly was. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and he lived with a transvestite uh, in the early in the early seventies. And so I played when I, I was, I was playing that role and that I filmed that at the beginning of the year. And for that, I was, um, in communication with, um, some incredible transgendered people in Australia and in Melbourne, um, uh, a, a showgirl who was, um, performing not in the early seventies, but definitely in the eighties, uh, in Melbourne, a woman called Michelle Toza, who, uh, just was full of, 
information mm. and um, just that life and what it was like on the fringe and of course um, in the Sydney community you know, um, lots of friends were drag queens and mm. um, that was also a great insight and also this character was a, a drug addict so obviously as as well speaking you know you do you get to speak to people like that yeah um, so yeah it was it was wonderful to so I feel in a, in a lot of ways I had already done that before I um, I was doing that and then also uh, Charlotta was like a creature all on her own though yeah and um, very different she was not like she was not a, a showgirl and um, she was a loner in her own museum and uh, so it was I read her autobiography and that gave a real insight into the violence of her childhood growing up in Nazi regime and, and how that instilled her with a fortitude to be herself. And that just with that sheer conviction, mm. you can survive. You know, if, if you go, fuck you, I'm going to be me. It's amazing the power that has on the people around you, no matter who you are or what you are. Um, and that really, that really jumped out at me in her autobiography. Mm -hmm. And so when people have asked me, well, uh, whether, whether, was it very similar to play Charlotte? Is it very similar to play Charlotta to Caroline Jenkins, who is the, the woman in the Molly Meldrum TV movie? And I was like, they're very different mm. because Charlotta is a survivor. Yeah. Right. Caroline was a very fragile creature as Molly describes her, who, who kind of, um, was crushed mm. by her life on the fringe, but Charlotta just, yeah. It's like a rock. Yeah. You know? When you look at the the history of uh, the trans community um, that you've been exposed to, particularly through this play, mm -hmm. uh, through your work down in Melbourne, through your work in Sydney, w w do you see a path to, you know, bringing in from the fringe? Do you see that coming? I think it's so weird because, so the director came to me with this play and it, then it was put on the cards to be happening this time, and that was a year ago now. And then, and then, just uh, serendipitously, I got the Molly Meldrum TV movie. And in the space of that year, between getting those two roles, uh, Caitlyn Jenner happened. And I, you know, think that that has done incredible things in the last 12 months, from the time that I was... Uh, you took on these two roles to now that an audience is actually going to get to see them. Mm. The world's kind of, the seeds are planted for mm. a huge change of accept toward acceptance, you know, uh, and, and a transgendered woman has just won, uh, a, a model content, like a bit, Europe, like a next top model, next top model a, in, right, right. in one of the European countries. Oh, I can't fantastic. remember, I can't remember which country it was. But the winner was a trans woman and yeah and Caitlyn Jenner has like been on the front page of Vanity Fair and she's an extremely privileged example that is n absolutely no representation of what it is like for most trans women but what I really respect about Caitlyn Jenner is that I, I did watch her reality TV show because it was homework and um, <laughs> and what she did was she used that show and get as a platform and you uh, like under the guise of a Kardashian reality show it, a branch off from that franchise but all of her friends are all these trans women who have come from the reality of that experience from what it is for most people which is drugs and prostitution and um, being a pariah and not and having to find a new family because your own family just have mm. disowned you and while that was not in any way Caitlin's experience she was applauded and loved almost immediately by the world and her own family she has given a platform 
to show this isn't what it's like for everyone and we've got to you know mm. start dealing with this reality within you know the spectrum of what it is to be a human being and what sexuality is and what gender is she's I, I've got a lot of respect for that, you know. Mm. Mm. I, I think a, a place to start is exactly what you're saying, is that just to start describing sexuality as it is a spectrum, mm-hmm. it's not binary by any shade of the imagination yeah. at all. And just because uh, perhaps the majority of people do sit uh, closer toward extremities of that continuum, like we've really got to understand that... Uh, that isn't the case for everybody and it's like it's actually cool that it isn't and that that is actually really normal that as part of the 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 natural spread of you know people that there is going to be a certain percentage of people who fall along that continuum at different at different places yeah both on both gender and sexuality and they're not they're not the same thing like someone can be a, a man be born a male, but completely identify as a woman, but be sexually, like, you know, predominantly attracted to women. It's like, it's, mm. it's like blows my mind how much more people are, are realizing the complexities of gender and sexuality. So that which is the, uh, the, the situation with Eddie Izzard. Eddie yeah. Izzard is, is, gets about in a dress. Totally. Has a girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> I watched this amazing documentary about uh, real dolls uh-huh. and these men who dress up as women and but not just drag they they like completely transform their face so to be like this 65 year old man and he'll dress up as like in this like latex uh, bodysuit with a fake face with fake blonde hair he's not he's not into men he like and he'll look in the mirror and he'll say, and you'll hear these guys say I would never get a girl this hot and I'm the girl I want to be with. I was like, it's so complicated. It's amazing though. It's fascinating. Yeah. But it's just proof that like, just because a man wants to dress as a woman doesn't mean he's, um, not sexually attracted to women as well. Like Mm. it's, it's so, anyway, I just love that. You know, that's the good side of these kinds of shows is that they really are exposing Mm. the complexity of human nature. And yeah. the difference between gender and sexuality, that they aren't the same thing. Yeah. So, and we can be very surprised, yeah, about... How are you going to keep yourself healthy during this? It looks like a pretty intense uh, <laughs> schedule. What are you going to do? Um, oh, look, it's the same. Oh, there's no magic. There's no magic in that. It's, 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 it's sleep and eating good and, 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 yeah. and being being prepared you just yeah. got to work do a lot of homework you do a lot of homework i've been off book for a month now and um and you were saying like learning three pages in a day like that's what open sailor was like you know so i feel like i've been using two sides of two different mm. parts of my brain during the day you you've got open sailor which is like a very fast turnaround the script the night before so you've got to work very hard to make character decisions to find the joke in the scene and um find the accent and then it's gone in two hours it's been filmed and then you can forget about it whereas this play is something then you'd go home at night and you'd have to craft and spend hours and hours and hours in a different side of your brain that knows it has to hang on to and retain this information like very very well Mm. and um and by doing the homework you can start to relax and start to have fun. And so that's kind of what I'm doing to stay healthy. Just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Basically. It's as simple well, as that. No magic. <laughs> well, I wish I'm just so grateful you took time out of your day to come here, man. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Osha. Well, this has really been really great. <laughs> I'm just going to snip, uh, snap, snip. Yeah. <laughs>
Uh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> I'm going to snap your photo. Okay, cool. Okay, great. <laughs> Thanks, man. No worries. That was Ben Gerard. Find him on Twitter at B E N G E R R A R D. OZ, Ben Gerard Oz. Let him know you heard him here. Thanks for being a part of the show. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, you can subscribe and I'll turn up in your phone each and every week. You don't even have to try. I'll just turn up on a Monday or a Sunday if you're in the States. In the podcast app of your choice, you can find all the episodes at osherginsberg.com. You want to write to me, send osher email at gmail.com. Also, uh, find me on Facebook. Uh, that's pretty easy. Um, until then, I'm off to find another ice pack out of the fridge to put on my shoulder and be more grateful about everything in my life that I have uh, because it's an incredibly grateful life that I have. And while there's some crazy shit going on in the world, I am very, very, very lucky to be able to speak to you every week. Um, uh, anyway, I'm. Uh, what am I going to do now? Let's go. Back to Kickstarter about two years ago. We're going to sell a 3D printer for under 300 bucks. I'm like, yeah, all right. That sounds interesting. It turned up yesterday. It's in the background building something. One micron at a time. We'll see what happens. Okay, have a great week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of it. I'll talk to you next week. Until then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com